Chapter One of Diversions in Sicily by H. Festing Jones. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Selenunte. Chapter One: The Brigadier and the Lottery. One wet Saturday evening in May, I found myself at Castelvetrano consulting Angelo the guide about the weather. His opinion was that it would clear up during the night. I said that if it did, we would go to Selenunte, and this confirmed his view so on the understanding that there was to be no rain i appointed him padrone of the expedition and promised to acquiesce in all his arrangements he was quite right sunday morning was brilliantly fine and at about eight thirty we started he began by showing me his purchases he had been out early marketing and his basket contained fresh tunny the first of the season veal salame dried fish bread and oranges but no wine he said we should find that at the locanda where they would cook the tunny and the veal for us chichu our driver was one of those queer creatures one sometimes meets in italy at first i took him to be a feeble intellect for when i spoke to him or merely looked at him he shut up his eyes showed his teeth and covered his face all over with grinning wrinkles but on knowing him better i found he was really extremely intelligent and perfectly good he was about sixteen but would have passed for twenty his general appearance was grey the actual colour of his face hands and clothes being powdered out of sight by the dust which held all together like a transparent glaze over a painting he drove us along between flowery fields of cistus until the temples of selinunte came in sight then down to the marinella a handful of houses on the shore under the low cliff we drew up at the locanda which distinguished itself by displaying over the door in a five-ounce medicine bottle a sample of a cloudy canary-coloured fluid to advertise the wine angelo had spoken of and the forlorn bunch of five or six faded sprigs of chamomile which hung on the same hook constituted the bush we left our basket with instructions and drove off to inspect the acropolis and the ruins returning in about an hour and a half the locanda was an immense cavernous room divided into front and back by a partition about seven feet high with an opening in the middle there was no regular window but we were only a few feet from the sea which reflected the sunshine through the open door and up into the arched roof and illuminated the front part in the obscurity behind the partition were dim ladders leading up to trap doors and through a few holes in the roof and in the end wall blinding rays of light glinted on piles of earthenware saucepans jugs cups and saucers coloured crockery lamps rough basins glazed green inside heaped up in stacks and protected from one another by straw there were hanks of rope fans of hawk's feathers for blowing the fire palm-leaf brooms and oil jars big enough for thieves there were horns on the walls to keep off the evil eye prints of the madonna some with sprigs of chamomile stuck into the frame a cheapissimo coloured lithograph of san giuseppe with the bambino and in front of it on a little bracket in half a tumbler of oil floated a burning wick in a corner was the landlord putting his whole soul into the turning about of a sieve full of coffee beans which he had roasted and was now cooling and everything was covered with a grey dust like the bloom on a plum or like chichu our table was spread in a clearing among the pottery in the front part of the room and everything was ready on a clean white cloth wine and all 
Besides the landlord and his wife, there were two men in uniform, one a corporal of the coast guards and the other a policeman. There was also a third man in ordinary clothes. I did not find out what he was, but they were all, including the landlord, friends of Angelo, who, in his capacity of padrone, invited them to join us at lunch. We were just about to begin when I missed Chichu. Angelo said we need not wait for him, he had only gone to the sea to wash his feet, so we sat down without him, and presently he returned, saying he had washed all over, but he looked just as dusty as before his bath. There must be something in the air of Selenunte that encourages bathing, for they told me that in a few days an annual festa was to take place there, the pilgrims arriving the evening before and spending the whole night bathing in the sea, the men in one part and the women in another. At dawn they would come out of the water, dress, and attend to their religious duties. I said I should like very much to see it, whereupon the corporal, who sat next me and clinked glasses with me every time he drank, invited me to stay. There would be plenty of room in the caserma, and they could make me comfortable for as long as I would remain. I had, however, made appointments elsewhere, so I told him it was unfortunate, but I could not alter my plans, and was sorry I must decline his invitation. After lunch, by general consent, we all went strolling up the cliff and through a garden belonging to a large house. I assumed that Angelo had been arranging something in dialect, and asked the corporal, who happened to be next me, where we were going. He first picked a geranium most politely and stuck it in my buttonhole. Then he told me we were going to the big house which was the caserma. It appeared that he had been so overcome by my hospitality that he had invited Angelo to bring me to call upon the brigadier and his companions in arms at the guardhouse. It was really Angelo who had shown the hospitality. Nevertheless, though not directly responsible for all details, I was responsible for having shifted the responsibility on Angelo by making him padrone of the expedition, so that the hospitality was, in a sense, mine but if left to myself i should never have had the courage to invite two such influential members of the legal profession as a coast guard and a policeman to lunch with me not to speak of the third man who might have been anything from a sheriff's officer to the lord chancellor himself but they were all friends of angelo and so was i and in sicily the maxim gli amici dei nostri amici sono i nostri is acted upon quite literally Passing through the door of the caserma, we entered a large oblong room. At each end were three or four beds, and on the side opposite the door, two open windows. Through the windows, across a barley field, lightly stirred by the breeze from the sea, the temple of Apollo was lying in the heat, an extinct heap of ruins, as though the naughty boy of some family of cyclopes had spilt his brother's box of bricks. In the middle of the room, ten or twelve men were sitting round a table on which were dishes of what at first the brigadier received me with great courtesy and put me to sit next him and the corporal sat on the other side of me a dreamy sunday afternoon feeling pervaded the air the brigadier said they were slaughtering time bisogna ammazzare un po di tempo being to a certain extent soldiers, their business was to kill something, and they were compassing the destruction of their present enemy by drinking wine and eating, not sea urchins, but cold boiled artichokes. He gave me some, and begged me to make myself at home. 
the corporal clinked glasses with me and said that the wine was better than that at the Locanda, wherein i agreed with him but i did not tell him that i found the artichokes a little uninteresting they were so very small and there was so much to do to get what little there was of them that they were more trouble than shrimps or walnuts looked at from the brigadier's point of view as a means of passing the time on sunday they reminded me of the litany pulling off each leaf was like listening to each short clause and eating the unimportant little bit at the end was like intoning the little response then the larger piece that was left when all the leaves were off followed like the coda and finale of the litany after the more monotonous part has been disposed of the litany has however the advantage that it comes only one at a time we do not kneel down to a whole plateful of it on the other hand there was wine with the artichokes and they were free from any trace of morbid introspection the brigadier and angelo were in earnest conversation about something and as my mind began to wander from the artichokes here again they resembled the litany and was able to attend more to what was going on i became aware that they were talking about the lottery selenunte depends for news upon chance visitors and angelo had brought the winning numbers which he had got from a cousin of his in one of the lottery offices at castelvetrano the brigadier had lost and in giving his instructions for the next week's drawing seemed to experience great difficulty in making up his mind presently there looked in at one of the windows a hunchback riding on a mule and carrying a guitar several of the guards went to help him in greeting him with shouts of adio filippo he lifted one of his legs over the saddle and then i saw that not only was he a hunchback but that his legs were withered he reached up and hung on to the ledge over the window with both hands and swung himself very cleverly and with no assistance into a sitting position on the window-sill two of the guards then picked him up carried him into the room set him on a chair and gave him some wine and artichokes being a jolly fellow as cripples often are he soon tired of the artichokes asked for his guitar and began to sing neapolitan songs he had not sung more than two before the brigadier told me i should like to wash my hands and had better come into his bedroom i glanced at angelo who nodded back and the brigadier took me off with him he began by showing me his room which was very clean and tidy his bed was at one end his table with his official papers and books in the middle and against the wall hung his guns which he showed me particularly declaring that he was passionately devoted to the chase after he had done the honours i washed my hands and so did he then he led the conversation to what his manner betrayed was the real business of the interview he asked me my name and age whether i was married or single and particulars of my family whether i was an englishman from london or from new york and how much a metre i had paid for the stuff my clothes were made of this last was the only question that gave me any real trouble but i made a hasty calculation converted the result into francs deducted five per cent for cash and hazarded fourteen lire in return for his polite interest in my affairs i pretended a similar interest in his and it turned out that we had a friend in common a maresciallo dei carabinieri whom i had met on monte san giuliano and of whom i was able to give the latest information namely that he had retired gone home to cremona and married carabinieri are not allowed to marry so long as they are in service 
or rather they may marry but only on condition of depositing a sum of money which is fixed at an amount beyond anything they are likely to be able to lay their hands on having exhausted our questions and answers we returned to the guard-room and the corporal welcomed us by filling our glasses again the brigadier before sitting down took angelo aside and became again immersed in conversation this time he appeared to be getting on more satisfactorily with his instructions the artichokes were beginning to lose their attractions for every one so i took out a packet of cigarettes and offered them round in those days there used to be in every packet of italian cigarettes a loose piece of paper about the size of a postage stamp with a number on it boxes of biscuits in england sometimes have a similar paper to identify the person responsible for the packing should anything be found to be wrong in my packet there happened to be two pieces of paper which flooded out upon the table as i opened it the brigadier instantly pounced upon them there was silence in the room every one watched and waited each of my pieces of paper bore the number thirty-three the brigadier did me the honour of cancelling all his previous orders to angelo and of putting his money for next week's lottery on thirty-three the corporal and several of the men who had not intended to gamble changed their minds and gave similar instructions it was now time to think of returning so angelo got out of the window into the sunlight and went off to fetch the carriage and the guards began to chaff poor chichu about his watch-chain which was a massive and extensive affair in silver the corporal said they were playing a game with him and offered to teach it to me i am not good at games but this one was so simple that i mastered it in less than a minute and played it thus first i asked chichu to tell me the time he shut up his eyes showed his teeth and covered his face all over with grinning wrinkles then i asked him the time again he replied in the same way i asked him again and so on till he had overcome his shyness and at last pulled out his watch which was found to consist of a circular piece of tin with a paper watch-face gummed on to one side of it then we all laughed at the contrast between this and what his elaborate watch-chain had led us to expect while we were still laughing angelo drove up to the window and said it was time to go so we began saying good-bye some of the men departed before us but the brigadier the corporal and one or two others were going our way the brigadier fetched his gun in order to enjoy the chase and we all got out of the window angelo accompanied the hunting party but the corporal came in the carriage with me and chichu drove us round the barley field to the temple of apollo to wait for the others on the way we heard the brigadier firing off his gun and wondered what sport he was having and i took a leaf out of his book of politeness and asked the corporal his age and particulars of his family after which of course i had to tell him all about myself and to promise i would take the first opportunity of visiting him in his home to clink glasses and drink wine with him we went all over the ruins while waiting for the hunting party which presently joined us the brigadier was satisfied with his sport and permitted himself the pleasure of offering me the spoils two birds the size of sparrows which angelo was to cook for supper then we said good-bye promising to exchange picture postcards when i should be back in england the corporal however was still going our way and we took him in the carriage a little further we asked if he could not come with us all the way to castelvetrano and he seemed inclined to do so but he had to patrol the coast in the direction of marsala from eleven o'clock that night till eleven the next morning 
and it was so annoying because, as he must go to Castelvetrano in a few days, he might almost just as well come with us now. We hoped he would see his way to doing so, and he hesitated and appeared to be on the point of yielding, but finally made the Herculean choice of duty before pleasure on the very sensible ground that, if it should be discovered he had deserted his post, he would be put into prison for two months. With the brigadier and all the guards in the secret, it seemed impossible that he should escape detection, so we pressed the invitation no further and took leave of him, after exchanging names and addresses and promising to send postcards to one another. As we drove away, I could not but draw a comparison in my mind between the corporal's refusal of my invitation and mine of his, and I was ashamed of myself for the way I had scamped the bathing festa. I had made another engagement, and there was an end of it. The corporal, on the other hand, had spared no expense in the manner of his refusal. Nothing short of two months' imprisonment could have prevented him from coming with us. We English ought to be able to do this, and some of us, I suppose, can, but there is no Italian who cannot. The French are polite, but not always to be trusted. A Frenchman, speaking of an Englishman to whom I had introduced him, said to me, He speaks French worse than you do any italian wishing to express a similar idea would have said he speaks italian it is true but not so well as you do my meditations were interrupted by angelo who had been taking stock of our possessions and on looking into the basket exclaimed with disgust that we had been robbed of our fish it was the first i had heard about our fish but he said the brigadier had given us ten and he had put them into the basket how could they have got out again all the afternoon we had been surrounded by coast guards and policemen whose profession is, as everyone knows, to prevent robbery and to take up thieves. Angelo was furious and wanted to drive back and complain to the brigadier, but on looking further through the basket we found there were still two fish, and I said they would be quite enough for supper with the sparrows, and he finally agreed that we had better do nothing. It might look as though we thought the brigadier was not up to his business and when the tailor is wearing a coat that does not fit him said angelo it is rude to tell him of it so we drove on among the cistus bushes and i asked him about the lottery every saturday morning ninety cards numbered from one to ninety are put into a wheel of fortune and a blindfolded child from the orphan asylum publicly draws out five italy is divided into several districts and a drawing takes place in the chief town of each the winning numbers are telegraphed to the lottery offices all over the country and afterwards posted up and published in the newspapers anyone wishing to try his luck chooses one or more numbers and buys a ticket and this choosing of the numbers is a very absorbing business in the neighbourhood of castelvetrano at that time the favourite numbers were five and twenty-six and the people were betting on those numbers when they had no special reason for choosing any others angelo could not tell why these two numbers were preferred he could only say that the people found them sympathetic and as a matter of fact twenty-six had come out the day before there are many ways of choosing a number if you find five and twenty-six unsympathetic you can wait till something remarkable happens to you look it out in the useful book that knows and then bet on its number for everything really remarkable has a number in the book and if you do not possess a copy it can be consulted in a shop as the post office directory can be consulted in london or if nothing remarkable happens to you in real life perhaps you may have dreamt of a lady in a white dress or a man whetting a scythe 
or of meeting a snake in the road. Anything will do, as long as it strikes you at the time. When you see the country people coming into town on market day, you may be sure that each one has received instructions from relations and friends at home to put something on a number for them. Some make a practice of gambling every week. Others only try their luck when they have a few spare soldi. Others only when they have witnessed something irresistibly striking. A favorite way of choosing a number is to get into conversation with certain old monks who have a reputation for spotting winners, if I may so speak. You do not ask the monk for a number outright. You engage him in conversation on general topics, and as he understands what is expected of him, though he pretends he does not, he will presently make some such irrelevant remark as, Do you like flowers? whereupon you rapidly bring the interview to a conclusion and if you do not know the number for flower you look it out in the book and bet on it it occurred to me that possibly that was what the brigadier had been doing with me when he took me into his room to wash of course it was said angelo he did not really want you to wash your hands he wanted to get a number out of you did he get one said i he told me to put his money on fourteen that must have been because I said I paid fourteen francs a metre for this cloth, but he changed that afterwards. Yes, replied Angelo, he thought the number that came out of your packet of cigarettes would be better. Angelo was not strictly right about the brigadier not wanting me to wash, he said so merely to agree with me, for in Sicily, among those who have not become sophisticated by familiarity with money and its little ways, nor cosmopolitanized by travel, and whose civilization remains unmodified by northern and western customs, it is usual for the host to give his guest an opportunity to wash after eating. Sometimes the lady of the house has herself taken me into her bedroom, poured out the water, and held the basin while I have washed. She has then handed me the towel and presently escorted me back to the sitting-room. We soon overtook a man who had caught a rabbit and wanted to sell it for a lira and a half. Angelo bargained with him for ever so long, and being at last satisfied that the rabbit was freshly killed, bought it for a lira and put it into the basket, saying he would cook it for supper, and that no doubt the Madonna had sent it to make up for the loss of the fish. I asked him what I must do to get a ticket in the lottery for the following Saturday. He replied that his cousin would be happy to sell me one and if I would settle how much to risk and what number to put it on, he would take me to the office in the morning. I said I would risk a lira, which he thought overdoing it, as he and his friends seldom risk more than four or five soldi, but there was still the troublesome matter of the number. He asked whether anything unusual had happened to me lately, either in real life or in a dream. I told him that I seldom remembered a dream, but that I had had an unusually delightful day in real life at Selinunte. In his capacity of padrone he acknowledged the compliment, but feared there would be no number for that in the book. Then I asked if there was likely to be a number for having breakfast with a coast guard, as it was the first time I had done so. He mused and said no doubt there would be a number for breakfast and another for coast guard, but not for the combination could not we add the two numbers together and bet on whatever they amounted to if it were not over ninety angelo would not hear of anything of the kind we must think of something less complicated it would never have occurred to him to read for metaphysics under m and for china under c and combine the information into the article that appeared in the eatanswill gazette as a review of a work on chinese metaphysics 
he asked if i had not lately had una disgrazia qualunque i reminded him of the theft of our fish but that did not satisfy him he considered it too trivial though he had made enough fuss about it at the time and seventeen which in sicily is one of the numbers for an ordinary misfortune was too general it seemed a pity i had not been involved in the fall of a balcony because that was a very good thing to bet on and he knew it had a number although he did not remember it at the moment filippo the hunchback was no use because though it is fortunate to meet hunchbacks and of course they have a number there was nothing remarkable in seeing filippo at the caserma he is always there by this time we had reached castelvetrano and supper overshadowed the lottery angelo cooked everything we began with macaroni after which we ate the fish and the sparrows and wound up with the rabbit it was all very good but it seemed hardly right to eat the sparrows besides there was scarcely as much on one of them as there had been on one of the artichokes at the caserma during supper something it may have been the sparrows or perhaps the madonna again inspired me with an idea for a number that met with angelo's enthusiastic approval i remembered that my birthday was near and proposed to put my money upon the number of that day of the month nothing could have been better and he recommended me to take also my age that would give me two numbers and i could have an ambo i should not win on a single number unless it came out first whereas if i did not specify their positions my two numbers might come out anywhere and if they did i should win about two hundred fifty francs angelo accepted as a good omen the fact that neither of my numbers exceeded ninety and next morning we called on his cousin and put a franc on twenty-seven and fifty-two now a lottery is an immoral thing accordingly i expected to feel as though i had committed an immoral action instead of which i felt just as i usually do i therefore gave my ticket to angelo in order that if i should develop a conscience by the time the numbers came out i might silence it by the consciousness of having disclaimed all hope of gain this was perhaps a little cowardly for the effects of a lottery are said to be most pernicious to those who win but no harm was done in the end the actual numbers drawn the following saturday being thirty-nine forty-two eighty-nine eighty-three twenty-eight so angelo lost and likewise the brigadier and the corporal and the guards who had put their money on thirty-three end of chapter one